and victory of the godly. And for our scripture, let's all go to Second Peter two, Second Peter two, verses four to nine: deliverance and victory. We're talking about deliverance and victory. Second Peter two, verses four to nine. Second Peter two verses four to nine. Deliverance and victory. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Gomorrah and Sumorah in, sorry, Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless or their sinful deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Amen. Praise the Lord. Victory and deliverance. The text that we have just read is, I believe, very well known to almost all of us. And it talks about the fact that the God that we serve, our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, sees righteousness and he sees unrighteousness. He is able to differentiate, differentiate, see the difference between who is righteous or godly and who is unrighteous or ungodly. That is the fact that we all know, but sometimes we forget that our God is very much interested in differentiating, drawing a line, a difference, making a difference between who is a believer and who is an unbeliever. And this text begins by saying that, well, God did not spare angels, even angels who sinned. Angels sinned. God did not spare them. As we all know, there were two groups of angels who sinned in the ancient days the time of creation, two groups of angels who sinned. The first group were the ones who rebelled in heaven and followed Satan, who was then called Lucifer. And they, this led to war breaking out in heaven. Imagine heaven, war breaking out in heaven. Bible said there was war in heaven. Imagine heaven 
if there can be war in heaven, then it's not surprising what is happening in the world now. It's not surprising at all. And these um, angels who formed one third, they formed one third of the heavenly host of angels. They were cast out with their leader Satan and cast down to the earth. And these are the demons who trouble us human beings. The Bible says that, you know, woe, woe to you, O you inhabitants of the earth. Woe to you, you inhabitants of the earth. Because Satan had been cast down to earth and very, very angry. And there was no place left for him. There was no place left reserved for him. He couldn't go back to heaven anymore. And these are the demons. These angels became fallen angels. Fallen angels. Angels who have fallen from grace to grass. And they are the ones who roam about and if given the slightest opportunity, whenever you and I will give them the slightest opportunity, they afflict us, they attack us, they torment us, they try to steal, kill, and destroy us. Then there was a second group of angels who Bible said left their station. They left their place in heaven and came down to the world. That's Genesis chapter 6. And um, they began to marry. They pretended to be whatever. They began to marry women. And they gave birth. They gave birth to um, wicked men who were giants, the Anaks, who their sons were called the Anakim. These giants were wicked because they were born out of wicked angels. So there was no all intent, every intent of their heart, everything that they decided was just continually evil. And that's what led to God destroying every living thing in the days of Noah. Because then the earth was so polluted, the earth was so evil that not one single soul, apart from Noah and the family, only eight people, there were only eight then whom God found to be righteous. Because these sons of the evil angels, demons, have so destroyed the human race that every intent of every man was continually evil. And God regretted that he had even made the world except to destroy it. But Noah, the only righteous man in his family, they found grace in the eyes of God and God saved them. So if God will not spare even angels who sinned, angels who were spirits who sinned, deliver them be chained in darkness, reserved for judgment, chained in darkness. Now, this group of angels, the second group, were very wicked angels, very wicked. So, God could not afford to let them roam about like the demons who warriors. They were wicked angels. God did this to the world. They caused the whole world to live in sin. God had to destroy the world. So, these ones, God chained them. God kept them in chains in the abyss. You couldn't let them roam about because if those ones, if they were allowed to walk about what they would do to us, what they would do to us, you and I will can never survive it. So God chained them. 
And this is the one that God, Bible shows us God chained, chained them reserved in darkness for the day of judgment. But then, here was God about to destroy the world, all living things. But God was able to see Noah, one person. Bible says a preacher of righteousness. Noah alone. God could pick him out. One man and his family in the entire known world. But this man being the righteous, I cannot destroy him with unrighteous. The God that we said, therefore, even if it's you, you alone, you, single you, God will still see you and God will set you apart, set you aside, bless you, differentiate between you and those who don't know him, who don't serve him. You make that difference. And it began not today. Right from the time of creation, he did not spare angels, but he spared Noah, a human being, and his family, eight people. When indeed he chained angels, reserved in darkness, all these years they've been chained, reserved for destruction, the day of judgment. And then also we have another example. In lost days, Sodom, Gomorrah, and even Zohar, some of you may not know it, but there were three cities that were earmarked for destruction because of their sinful nature, because they were f- full of sin. Sodom, Gomorrah, and a little city called Zohar, Z-O-A-R. And these cities God were going to destroy. And these were Lot lived. Lot and his family. Again, again, God saw the righteousness of Lot. He saw Lot, the nephew of Abraham, as righteous. And indeed, God sent angels. God sent angels in the likeness of men to come and deliver Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed these two cities. And when they came down and the time had come for God to rain, pour out fire and brimstone, the Bible says that Lot began to argue, he began to beg. First he said he was afraid of going to the mountains. They said he should flee to the mountains. He said no, he was afraid to go to the mountains. But they should, the angels should let him go to Zohar. And because of that, God said, okay, because of you going to Zohar, then I will not destroy Zohar. So because of, because of Lot and his family, God spared Zohar. Zohar said he was afraid to flee to the mountains. But God should please allow him to leave Sodom and Gomorrah and go to the next city, that was Zohar, which was also earmarked for destruction. But because of Noah's, uh, sorry, lost request, God said, okay, because of you, because of your request, I will spare Zohar. So flee there. Flee there. And in spite of all this, Zohar, a uh, lot was still delaying. Lot was wasting time. And the Bible said that God was merciful. So the angels had to hold Zohar, uh, sorry, Lot's hand and drag him out with his wife. 
until Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah, God couldn't bring down the fire and brimstone. Unless Lot had left Sodom and Gomorrah, God would by no means have brought down fire and brimstone. But the Bible said one attribute of God is that he differentiates. He differentiates between who is righteous and who is unrighteous. Who is godly and who is ungodly. He differentiates between the believer and the unbeliever. The one who fears him and the one who does not fear him. The person who worships him and serves him and the people, those who don't fear him, not serve him or worship him. He makes a clear distinction. So, the Bible said, when Lot, the moment Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah, he condemned, he condemned the two cities. If he had not left, those two cities would not be destroyed. But when he left, he then condemned the two cities. In the same way that they, Noah, and his family entered the ark and God, they shut the door. One, the woman, they shut the door. Noah and his family condemned the world to destruction. In the same way, when time comes to an end, that is why the rapture will take place. Because when the time comes, God will take out that then those believers who will be alive, they will be raptured. They will be taken up pulled out of the world. And the unbelievers, sinners will be left behind. Then when the believers leave, the Holy Spirit will leave with them. The Holy Spirit will have no business here anymore. Because of you and me, that's why the Holy Spirit is still around. The moment believers are pulled out, taken out, or raptured out of the world, the Holy Spirit will also leave with them and then the ungodly, unbelievers, the witches and wizards, the occultists, all those people who are wicked, they'll be left here, and then Satan will be lo- let loose on them. And what the Satan will do to them, the Bible says that if God had not even intervened, it was probably seven years, but after three and a half years, you see, God who knows the end from the beginning knows what is going to happen. So, after three and a half years, God will shorten the time. Because there's still some that God will want to, to save. Otherwise, even the elect will also not be, will not, not, not be saved. So, we can see that one principle, one attribute, one unchangeable fact about God is that he knows you and he knows the unbeliever. He knows your heart. He knows the heart of the one who does not fear him. He knows how you love him, and how even those who pretend to be in the church, they are, they are, I was telling about that, hey, God is long-suffering. How you can tolerate some people in the church? <laughs> God is very, truly long-suffering, really. I mean, that's why he's God. That's why he's God. His understanding is unsearchable. How God himself will say, I've blessed you all. I've blessed you all. I mean, you're amazed. Meanwhile, he knows. He had known that in our midst, in every church, not just here, in every church, there are agents. There are those who are there, agents of Satan, to destroy the church. And yet, God is able to tolerate them, put up with them because of you. And Jesus, 
told some parables. Parable of the dragnet. The dragnet. The parable of the tares. That, you know, in the farm, there are plants and there are weeds. In every farm, there are plants that the farmer had planted. And there are weeds that are dangerous, killing the, 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 the plants. But God said, no, let them alone. Let the plants and the weeds be there together. Now the tares. When the time comes, God said, he will know how we separate the tares from the, from the weeds. In the same way, when, you, when a, a fisherman puts his net into the, into the sea and drags the net, the drag net, it will drag both fish, it will drag crabs, it will drag monk or song. In the net will be song. Crabs, even crabs have different types. We have car and ah. Uh. <laughs> and the car language is interesting. A car and uh. When we come to wild, and that's it, those are snails. <laughs> You know, we have car and uh, even among the, 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 the crops. <laughs> and all these, you know, these days, <laughs> when we go to, how about fishing away? We don't throw any fish away. But when we're children, when the fishermen bring the fish, it's not every fish that they, that what we are eating now, we are not eating it. They will throw them away. They throw them away. But now, we can't get the fish, so they eat everything. But the car and uh, they eat everything. So the dragnet will drag all kinds of sea sea creatures. But when they brought them to shore, that is when the fisherman would then separate the real fish from the one that he doesn't want. That's the, the parable of the dragnet. So God is able to identify who is righteous and who is not. So as you sit here, my brother, my, my sister, my son and my daughter. Don't ever think that God doesn't know who belongs to him. As long as you have the spirit of Christ in you, Christ knows that you are his. In every church, there are some who don't belong to Christ. And Christ knows them, but he tolerates them because he's long-suffering. If he tries to pull them out, pull them out of the church, it will affect many of you. It will affect many of us. Hello? And I've seen that happen. In fact, I've seen that happen. If God should begin to deal with the unrighteous right now, deal with us all, the church might even collapse. The church, might, the church will there'll be confusion in the church. That's why God tolerates all these people in the church. And at the, at the right time, when enough is enough, when enough is enough, then he brings judgment upon them. Church, if you agree with me, say amen. amen. Clap your two hands for Jesus. So verse 9 says, Then, if all these things God will do, then verse 9 says, Then the Lord knows, knows how to, de- to deliver the godly out of temptation or trouble and to reserve the unjust or the sinner under punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord knows how. The way he will deliver you, the Lord knows how he will deliver. You see? Means that the way he will deliver one person is different from the way he will deliver another person. Hello? 
Then the Lord knows how. The days of Noah, he put them in an ark and drowned everybody else. In the days of Lot, he got them out of Sodom and Gomorrah and burned down the two cities. Burned them down. When the end comes, rapture will take place. And then judgment. So the Lord knows how. He will deliver you as an individual from that situation. From that problem you are having. The Lord knows how. If only you allow him. And for that reason, when we go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 37. Romans 8, Romans 8, 35 to 37. Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or, now, or death? As it is written, For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for your slaughter. For the slaughter, sorry. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What the Bible is saying here is that the love of God, the love of Christ for the believer, for you and for me, is so great is so huge, is so immeasurable that there's nothing that may be happening to you. See, there's nothing that you may be going through or I may be going through that will mean that I have been separated or you have been separated from the, from the love of Christ. Understand this scripture. I've seen people preach this scripture and they, they, they've not, they preach it wrongly. If I heard a bishop preach this scripture and the way he preached was wrong. A bishop, a whole bishop from, from Uganda or Korea. He traveled away to Ghana and the way he preached this scripture, sat down and it's all wrong. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? In other words, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Verse 35. Shall, shall tribulation, in other words, that shall trouble, challenges, problems, or distress, or persecution, attacks, attacks, or farming, farming, or lack, poverty, or nakedness, when you don't have even clothes to wear, or peril, danger, peril is danger, or sword, or death. None of these things, Bible says, is able to separate us from the love of Christ. And then it goes on to quote. Old, scripture, Old Testament scripture says, For it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. Even if for your sake, God, if for your sake we are killed all day long, they are just killing us. They are just killing us because, because of you. If we are regarded as sheep who are being led to be slaughtered, if you go to a slaughterhouse, just slaughter a sheep, hundreds a day, hundreds a day. 
even if they, we are we are we are we look like sheep who are being slaughtered because of you we can be assured that that I don't mean that we have been separated from your love does it mean that's what this scripture means who or who if it's not who then what because who is more powerful than what what is a thing who is a person so if the person cannot do it then what cannot do it so who can separate us who at all can separate you from the love of Christ none of these things so you may be going through tribulation you are going through tribulation you are, go- you, are, you, are, you are suffering distress distress farming even, even what to eat is a problem you are not eating today so you know some people they even thank God when we say we are fasting because then they are, then, then, then they are, they are, they are then, uh, then their farming is, is holy hallelujah <laughs> praise the Lord <laughs> amen yeah, I know some people when, when they, are, we don't have any, they fast when they don't have anything to eat they used to fast you don't go around and say, oh, I don't have hunger. No, they fast. Not even, not even lack of food. Not even nakedness. You may not have anything to wear. Even, you know, I know some people say, oh, I can't come to you because my dress is only one. I have only one dress. Now you, I've been using it for the past six months. So, and so what? Is it your dress that God looks at or your heart? It's not your dress. It's not your shoes. It's not your high heels or crocodile shoes. Hello? So, Bible is saying that these things cannot separate you, cannot separate me from the love of Christ. Does it mean that Christ has turned his back on you? Christ doesn't love you anymore. It does not mean that God doesn't know you or doesn't care or doesn't even hear your prayers. No. None of these things can separate you from the love of Christ. The Bible is saying here. And then verse 37 says, For, sorry, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is the one that we like quoting a lot. Yet in all these things, indeed, in all these things, not only are you a conqueror, but you are more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yet in all these things, even if all these things put together happen to you as an individual, you alone, you are going through all these things, the Bible wants you to know that you are still not separated from the love of Christ. And that once you are going through that, once you are in it, you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. So indeed, it means that when you are righteous and God has now identified you as a righteous person, as a believer, a man or woman after his own heart, God has now identified you, classified you, and labeled you as he did about David as a man or a woman after his own heart. Then know that Know that you are under that special grace of God. It does not mean, it does not mean that persecution, peril, sword, famine, nakedness, distress will not come. But when they come upon you, then 
it shows that you are indeed a conqueror. Standing on this scripture, then you can say that, oh, these things have happened to me as a believer to prove, to confirm that in fact I am more than a conqueror. It is not to make you think that God has forsaken you. It is not, make, it's not to make you to relax on your worship of God. It is not meant to make you begin to complain and grumble. It is not meant, meant to make you begin to backslide. Remember the prophetess, Anna. Anna, in the Bible. She was married for only seven years. From her, as a virgin, seven years. And she lost her husband. She lost her husband. And, and to, the, to the age of 84, she never married again. But she spent there and then some scholars believe that she lived in the temple. He said she never departed from the temple. Some scholars, some scholars, Bible scholars interpret that literally, that she had a room in the temple. But to me, it's like she was always regularly in the temple. Age of 84. And she came in and brought about Jesus. Jesus, at the age of 84. Seven years, not married again. But she didn't turn her back on God. She remained a prophetess, attached to the temple, fastings, prayers, serving God in the temple. To the age of 84, when God allowed her very eyes to see the infant Jesus, the infant Messiah. So church, as we go through this revival, we are touching on almost everything and everything. And one thing, therefore, the Lord does is that he's able to deliver, able to deliver the righteous at the right time, at the opportune time, in the fullness of time. The Bible says, at the appointed time, God works with time. The God that we serve does not work, work with your time. Otherwise, you have, been, you have decided when to be born. It doesn't work with your time, and you will decide when you want to die. And because it doesn't work with your time, it works with its own time. In the fullness of time, at the appointed time, God will know how to deliver you. And may God deliver you. May God deliver you. So tonight we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And as we pray, yes, you may we thank God for all the blessings that He showered on us all. We have we have more than we have all got more than our enough shares of blessings. But as human beings, we tend to forget the good things and we focus on what we haven't received yet, what we don't, what we don't have. What you don't have. I remember. I know my wife, she said me that she and her, her junior brother, when they were young, children, when we are giving them something, uh, as, he, as he is taking his, he is looking at what we are also getting. <laughs> he will be looking at what he is taking. He will be looking at what the old generation are here. The old generation are here. We forget what the Lord is. But if you think of the goodness of God, what the Lord has done for you, it will spare you on, it will motivate you, it will increase your faith. Then to expect 
and by faith to look forward to what the Lord is yet to give to you. That's the way I see it. If you think of how far God has brought us, then God will not bring you this far, my daughter, and then leave you there. He will take you to the end. And may he take you to the end. Yes, he will take you to the very end. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. The author and the, the originator and the perfecter. Whatever he begins, he perfects it. Whatever he begins, he finishes it. He has begun with you, he will finish with you. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil make you look at what you have in God and forget what you have. Look at what you have and through that, see behind it God who gave it to you. Remembering that he is able to deliver the righteous and to condemn the unrighteous to judgment. And that's how God is. So this revival, that's one message that I want you to have the rest of your lives. The rest of your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 